0: In our lives, actions, and obligations, moral clarity matters. Given that the essence of moral thought is to address and ameliorate human suffering and to expand human freedoms, how can we afford not to attend to moral clarity when it comes to international relief and development? The Center for Values in International Development seeks to apply the insights, analytical frameworks, knowledge and experience that already exist within the field of international development ethics to guide relief and development practice. We continue the dialogue with our fourth of five conversations with today's focus on democratic values as part of the center's ethical development series building an effective bridge between the practitioners community and the ethicist community to the mutual benefit of both and to the significant improvement in the effectiveness of international relief and development. With me is Dr. David Crocker and Paulina Ibarra. Paulina is the executive director of the Fundacion Multitudes in Chile and the first elected chair of the civil society pillar of the community of democracies. She has global experience in the areas of transparency, citizen participation, and accountability, and has worked in government, private sector, and international organizations. In Washington, DC, Paulina worked with the Open Government Partnership during the administration of President Obama and advised the World Bank on issues of education and digital activism. Paulina is joined by Dr. David Crocker, who is a professor of development ethics at the University of Maryland School of Public Policy. He specializes in socio-political philosophy, international development ethics, transitional justice, democracy and democratization, and the ethics of consumption. He's also the founder of the International Development Ethics Association. My name is Evan Papp, and I'm the moderator and producer for this series of ethical discussions for the Center for Values in International Development. Thank you, David and Paulina for participating in this discussion.
1: Thank you, Evan, for inviting us. And thank you.
0: Questions will be addressed to both of you, but this is a conversation, so feel free to engage each other's comments. So with that, let us begin. The late American philosopher John Rawls once raised a key question about governance. How is it possible for there to exist over time a just and stable society of free and equal citizens who remain profoundly divided by reasonable, religious, philosophical, and moral doctrines. Should an emphasis on strengthening democratic values be part of the solution to that question? David, we'll start with you.
2: Well, thank you very much. Rawls's approach, uh, his answer to his own question is one that I have been influenced by but See major problems, and now his answer, uh, briefly, is to look for what he calls political liberalism as a framework that everyone uh, who is reasonable can agree to. And uh, so the he 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 assumes that we cannot do any better than a ongoing permanent disagreement about what our basic values are, and that we have to learn to live with that and have to make a sort of compromise to a a module, as he calls it, of concepts that we can agree to, whether we're Democrats or Autocrats, whether we're uh, whatever ethnicity, whatever our family background, we can uh, agree to this. And while this seems um, attractive, I think there are some real problems. Um, For my view, it would be better to have uh, a society in which everybody was able freely to uh, uh, clarify and assert and defend their own views in relation to others and uh, sometimes to uh, agree, but never to make uh, compromises that would sell out one's own principles. And I think that one of the difficulties, for example, in the U.S. Constitution is that it is— A mishmash of uh, anti slavery, egalitarianism on the one hand, and uh, a defense of of slavery on the other hand. And that wasn't corrected, I think, until after a Civil War and uh, Abraham Lincoln's own uh, attempts to have a new birth of freedom. So the danger with a a kind of compromised view is that it would be watered down or admit uh, those who. Really are uh, uh, opposed
0: to um, a democratic society. Thank you, David and Paulina. What are your thoughts?
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, it is true. Currently, democracies are profoundly divided. My my position is a little bit unorthodox. Uh, I feel that it's more of a balancing act than polarization, but. Um, the reality is that they're um, definitely divided by different issues, being the most concerning the political, the religious, the philosophical, and moral divisions that we're seeing nowadays in different uh, countries around the world and different democracies. Um, because the way that they're inserted is in a derogatory sentiments in the mind. It sounds derogatory in the, um, in the minds of the, in hearts of citizens um the solution is not a balancing it's not balancing rights trying to find which is more important than the other all democratic values liberty equality and justice and all human rights might be equally must be equally protected and when we neglect one value we're putting at risk the whole democratic system and strengthening democratic values in that sense must be part of the solution in a horizontal effort that takes into consideration the different points of views, interests, fears of all citizens to make sure democracy is the government of the people, by the people, and for the people.
2: That sums it up in a way that the that, but the, the democratic decision-making, which um, usually would be majoritarian, uh, would mean that uh, uh, s- some people would be outvoted uh, even though they... Uh, um, are part of the process. And uh, that's, that's part of the democratic way as well.
1: It is, David. One of the main things nowadays is, as you mentioned, majoritism. Um, but there is no such a thing as a perfect democracy. I think that this needs to be a constant effort by everyone, government, private sector, civil society, regular citizens, to improve it on a, da- on a daily basis and to not forget how fragile it is.
2: I like that way of putting it because uh, I think we have to get away from the idea that there is a perfect institution called democracy that is something to be reached for. Uh, What we need are some values, democratic values that we agree to, but those values can be applied and embodied in lots of different ways in different contexts. And uh, a part of the decision has to be a democratic decision about what kind of democracy. Uh, And there are uh, certain dimensions that need to be taken into account. Uh, If democracy is ruled by the people, then uh, the issue of which people, so that's an issue of breadth, how broad should it be? Um, uh, It shouldn't include uh, babies, for example. Uh, maybe it shouldn't include at least immediately felons, but, um, uh, or, or people who are, um, so old that they can't think anymore. Um, uh, so, uh, the question of breadth is, is one question that, uh, a democratic society has to answer. A question of range is another, uh, over what kind of topics should we decide w- war and peace like the Athenians did and, we don't do very much anymore of that, um, uh, but what about uh, private matters? Uh, should it range over those topics, and uh, uh, and uh, what what uh, what people should be involved in making these decisions? Should it range uh, over just those that are elected, or should those citizens that do the electing also be uh, viewed as part of the democracy? So those are just two dimensions that um, will have to be decided and will will may be very different in one culture or one time than at another, but the democratic values uh, should stay the same. And you did a little rehearsal of those at the outset. And I would say that the the three values that for me are at the top of the list would be um, self-determination or agency, um, uh, well-being in the sense of uh, valuable Uh, freedoms and valuable uh, achievements, and equality. Uh, And there's a strong egalitarian dimension that needs to be taken into account.
0: Thank you both. And moving on to the next question. Is the promotion of democratic values in the context of human development plausibly linked to achieving sustainable improvements in the common good? Are democratic values mostly just a means to that end, or is democracy a valuable goal in itself? Paulina, I would like to begin with you.
1: Thank you, Evan. Um, I think considering human development is the process of enlarging people's freedoms and opportunities, I believe democratic values are the means to that end, and democracy is a goal itself as well. Um, we forget that um, when it comes to the different democratic processes and everything that we see around the world. When we see democratic backsliding, we also see potentially democracy as a goal, as a means to, 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 to that end. And regarding the first aspect, I agree with some of the principles that David just shared. Equality, justice, liberty are, are means for people to achieve a full potential to lead a, a productive and creative life. Um, whatever they value, and that means um, reaching human development. Um, democracy is, is a value, is as valuable goal itself in the human development process, as well. However, again, we forget that um, because a stable and mature democratic society enables citizens to achieve the development they seek, and this has not been fully achieved across the world yet. And we see how we are failing in different aspects to support the development. And, and it should have been separated. It shouldn't be that we think of um, the the best for everyone, the best for all citizens in a country, in a region, in the world, have to be opposed to the development process. It's just, we really need to better understand which are the most important democratic values that we see as a potential to increase our development, to improve, the way we develop ourselves.
0: Thank you Paulina, David, what are your thoughts?
2: It's both uh just like uh, uh self-determination is good in itself but it also has uh often and and uh, uh usually very good consequences. And I think around the world today as well as in the United States, maybe most dramatically in the United States, there's a strong movement to say, well, uh, democratic decision-making is a a kind of a luxury. What we've got to do is to have a strong hand, uh, a managed democracy in which uh, people that know best make the decisions and uh, uh, put democracy on hold or uh, remove it altogether. Uh, Although everybody's been talking about democracy in almost every country, uh, often, what they're talking about is not democratic at all or is only weakly democratic. Um, but uh, there is a temptation to say now, we don't need democracy. what we need is a strong hand, somebody that knows what they're doing and um, uh, uh, and I think that is where Democrats around the world have to learn to defend democracy against that challenge. And one way to defend it is the way that Paulina was uh, was talking about. It's good in itself. It's good for an individual or a group or a nation to run its own life and not to be the pawn of somebody else's plans. On the other hand, uh, we know that uh, autocracies – do not have a good record with respect to corruption, with respect to uh, inclusion of all people uh, in the benefits of their society. And uh, we need to make that claim that even a, so to, so to speak, competitive democracy may be just a facade which uh, opens up the possibility of deep and broad corruption and uh, does not deliver the goods. Uh Many democracies do not deliver the goods today, and that may be to some extent because they're not democratic enough.
1: Well, and I think that that's a very good segue into what I wanted to say, which is one of my favorite topics, uh, women in politics. I mean, when you you are very clear about the fact that democracy is failing, to serve everyone. And that might be one of the main issues that we're seeing. For example, when we see countries going into democratic backsliding, we cannot um, continue developing and creating new laws, new bills, and if we don't include everybody. And it could have been that some people um, feel that if you don't know what you're talking about, if you don't know um, how to write public policy you shouldn't be involved in decision making processes but we can't forget that at the end of the day what we're seeing is less and less knowledge of what's better or worse for the beneficiaries and the beneficiaries are the ones that know best about what they need and so there has to be a way for for governments for democracies to include the knowledge of this beneficiaries into the entire decision-making processes. But so far, we're failing at that. Democracies are failing. I mean, it's just a matter of thinking what happens or what has happened with COVID in several regions around the world um, in terms of women participating of democratic processes. We've seen only in the region of Latin America, where I'm originally from, where there has been a retrocess of 10 years in labor practices, in labor participation, and how women are really still not um, the majority when it comes to elections and in electoral participation. Only twenty five percent of uh, elected officials are women. So we really need to work into again, reevaluating um, what are the main principles and values that we need to support when it comes to democracy, whether it is including more or making sure that the values that we have been discussing over the last, I don't know, few hundred years are still important. They're still um, valuable today.
0: Thank you for that engaging exchange. Moving on to the next question. Are there issues and commitments such as recognizing the universal and equal nature of human dignity that ought to be outside or even above the democratic processes? Who gets to decide this? And Paulina, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts from your experience in the field.
1: I think that commitments surrounding the recognition and protection of human rights, such as, for example, the universal and equal nature of human dignity should be fundamentally protected and implemented regardless of the political process utilized by states. Uh, This is where global governance steps in and human rights treaties help monitor and enhance human rights. And a great example of this is universal declaration of human rights. However, the protection of human rights is not completely removed from the democratic processes. Often, a lack of democracy correlates to a lack of respect for human rights in a state. And we've seen that Uh, Whatever we see um, uh, the violation of human rights, we see that democracies are not working. Therefore, through the promotion of democratic processes, we're also indirectly promoting the protection of human rights as well. Even though they should be protected regardless of political scenario, this simply is not always the case.
0: Thank you, Paulina and David. What are your thoughts?
2: I, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the notion of human rights as a kind of uh, additional protection here because of the three values that I mentioned of, of agency and well-being and equality. There, we have a, a right to agency. We have a, a right to well-being. We have a right to be uh, treated equally. And I think in some ways the notion of dignity uh, is a way of of uh, a kind of super value uh, that is uh, informs all three of those in, in a sense that we we recognize each other as uh, as agents as uh, important sources of well being and as equal to us and we recognize them uh, and uh, that recognition is uh, an important part of of what we mean by I think of, of dignity
1: and and um just le- let me provide you a quick example Evan. Um, when we look at what has been happening in Chile in my home country over the last two years when we saw an uproar um in two thousand and nineteen um that actually forced the current government to relook and reevaluate what was happening, and that basically led to a process where we are we we elected officials to write a new constitution um by the people and for the people. The top priority was dignity, was to recognize dignity as a human right. And with that, uh, we are again relooking, reevaluating what we have known to be the principles of democratic, um, of democracy everywhere, and and to relook and potentially redefine the values of democratic processes.
0: So, David, in many of your writings, you have often argued that the solution for the problems of democracy is not less democracy, but more and better democracy. So how do we get there?
2: Yeah, how do we get there? First, what do we mean by that? Uh, uh, because f- democracy has lots of dimensions. I mentioned, uh, two breadth and and, uh, and range, but also depth. Uh, people can participate in the political process uh, directly or indirectly, they can vote, and balloting is important. Uh, But, uh, and we are especially aware of that right now because there's so many movements in the United States to reduce the number of people that can vote, uh, and so that they can't even vote in a gerrymandered uh, district. Um, uh, But uh, uh, they can uh, participate in the political process, in lots of ways other than voting for representatives, they can get out in the streets and they can protest, uh, even though that may be very dangerous, for example, in Myanmar right now. Um, But uh, uh, public protest, I think, uh, in in Glasgow was extremely effective in raising the question of whether the uh, agreements that have come in the last two weeks are anything more than cosmetic and won't do the job of uh, protecting uh, the environment and future generations. I know we'll have another question about that later. Uh, uh, there is also the I- importance of, uh, of increasing the um, balance of power within uh, a government so that you don't just have uh, an executive or not just have a, a legislature. Although I do, do think that it would be a, a progress to get rid of the uh, the Senate in the United States and have a unicameral um, parliament so that uh, uh, the citizens in Wyoming, uh, uh, 500,000 or so, um, have have the same representation of two votes with their two senators as the citizens of California with over 40 million. There's something undemocratic uh, about that. Uh, But we do need uh, different uh, uh, checks and balances and that's another part of democracy that we often don't have. And the danger of a autocracy is, of course, one person or a very small group of people is behind every institution. Uh, the Supreme Court does not have independence in many countries, and increasingly less independence in our country. Um, and uh, we need to be able to to have those uh, those checks and, and balances. And uh, we need to be sure that a, a democracy. Uh, has an impact in the world, and uh, it may uh, just be mouthing democratic phrases uh, and uh, covering up what's, what's really going on. But there are times in which uh, even the best democracies, even the ones that uh, uh, realize uh, the three values that we've talked about, uh, make mistakes. Uh, they backslide, but they also make mistakes, And uh, uh, democracy is not always the answer in the in the short run, because sometimes citizens or even presidents like uh, President Lincoln need to stand up and do things that are not accepted by the present Constitution. Uh, And in some ways, his move with the Emancipation Proclamation was an attempt to um, call us to a, a new concept of freedom and a new Constitution in which slavery was not a part eventually of course the uh, am- amendments that followed the emancipation proclamation and later in the in the uh, in in the in the, in the uh, 1860s um, uh, provided a legislative foundation and, and amendments um to the constitution that would be, be functioning in the future but sometimes a democracy is itself limited and needs to be challenged uh, by those that are part of it and recognize that it has arrived at a imperfect decision.
1: Evan, if I may, um, I, I couldn't agree with David more. I mean, the basic idea of democracy is that a state is ruled by the will of the people. The people have the opportunity to elect representatives who ideally govern, representing their values and interests. When democracy runs into problems, the solution is simply more democracy. It is up to the will of the people to elect different representatives representatives or shift their interests. For example, um, my uh, view is that the democracy in Chile is failing. And now we are looking into potentially uh, remove the precedent in place because it is up to the will um, of the people when there is a, to, to really shift their interests. And when there is more democracy, people have the agency to change any negative outcomes that they have occurred. Creating better democracy, as um, David said, is um, also crucial in conjunction with this. One way to foster a better democracy is to minimize corruption and ensure that the will of the people is actually being fairly represented. Another way is to educate the people, especially in today's day and age where fake news, for example, and disinformation is ramp- rampant. Voter choices are also get, also get distorted as they're fed by false narrative. By providing people with education and enough information to determine fact and fiction from themselves, they have the opportunity to seriously consider their needs and make more informed choices. The final way to foster a better democracy is through promoting fair representation in terms of representatives in the government. This can include providing the tools to marginalized people who want to run. Having different backgrounds represented in a democracy makes it more diverse and therefore represents the population as a whole better. When one group is determining everything and making self-beneficial decisions, this can lead to democratic backsliding.
0: Great. Thank you both. Next question. In an age of massive disinformation on social media, what is the morally defensible relationship between being entitled to vote and being adequately well-informed of the pertinent facts and likely consequences to the common good of one's vote? So Paulina, let's start with you.
1: (laughs) Sure, and this is definitely one of my uh, favorite topics. Um, The moral responsibility of all voters is to be properly informed before voting. That's the fundamental uh, responsibility. However, in this age of massive disinformation on social media, and even more after the pandemic, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say after, during the pandemic, this is becoming increasingly difficult for us. It is fair to ask the average voter to tediously sift through this information and jump through these hoops in order to cast a moral and informed vote without the proper tools. Um, authorities, we've seen it, international organizations and social media companies should provide, provide users uh, with those tools to combat disinformation and establish safeguards to these platforms to prevent it because the moral responsibility is also for them. And we've seen multiple times how governments are not taking responsibility, how social media platforms assume, assume a more aggressive or reactive approach than a proactive and preventive approach, and how the private sector is still also totally silent about the issue of disinformation and fake news.
0: Thank you, Paulina. David, what are your thoughts?
2: We certainly don't, we want to have an un, unfettered press and an unfettered social media in the sense that people are able to articulate even um, uh, racist or sexist uh, views. Uh, on the other hand, we want to have ample opportunity to have the give and take in public and in various uh, uh, media. Uh, and. Uh, uh, one of the problems right now is the, the battleground for democracy is often going to be in local boards of education, in local classrooms, as to what can be taught and what can't be taught. Uh, and, f- for example, I think one of the biggest divisions a- among people in the world today is between those that believe that uh, they need to teach their children uncritical obedience to authority, whether religious or political authority, versus those of us that believe that uh, critical agency where one evaluates uh, uh the orders that one has been given and uh, and tries to come up with uh, uh something better if it's uh, defective uh that that is uh, uh, something that is to be to be taught in school or or not and taught more generally uh within uh community organizations so that the idea of of uh, standing up for what one believes and uh, and and uh, being informed uh, is very important. Uh, let me just say, at the University of Maryland, at the la- in the last uh, few months, there's been um, uh, uh, an objection on the part of many community uh, citizens in nearby communities that the university has engaged in a uh, a deforestation program in order to bring about valuable uh, graduate student housing. Uh, The community has informed itself about this with the help of some experts, but also passing uh, their ideas on and critically evaluating them. And uh, because of this uh, outburst of both students and uh, community members, the president of the university put the whole project on hold, uh, knowing that 10 acres of forested land Uh, should not be replaced in this day and age uh, with, uh, with housing.
0: Programs intended to support democracy strengthening offered by the United States and many other donors have been promoted, measured, and funded almost exclusively in terms of enhanced efficiency, innovation, and effectiveness. Far less has been done to foster deep awareness of democratic values themselves. Do our democracy strengthening priorities need to change to incorporate values more centrally? David, could you begin?
2: Sure. Uh, I think that uh, uh, this is uh, an extremely important point to make. Uh, If we really believe that uh, democracy is something that is intrinsically valuable, as well as having good consequences for uh, any any people at any time, then the idea that uh, relief and development Uh, development from foreign aid, for example, Um, U.S. foreign policy and the foreign policies of other countries uh, can and should be uh, uh, more and more democratic. The trouble has been that we've often, it's often been uh, what we've been exporting is not democracy, but is uh, uh, the same kind of corrupt, uh, top-down a uh, system that puts emphasis on data but not on uh, human beings and their their welfare and their agency um, so uh, we we impose our views on others rather than um, uh, try, trying to persuade them or living and working with them uh, to struggle to find ways in which uh, a more humane Uh, local society, but also regional and national society might come about.
0: Thank you, David. Paulina?
1: Absolutely. Uh, We need to change or add to the categories we have. Like I said before, I think that evaluating, redefining, um, it's very important in terms of democracy. In order for a democracy to work, people need to truly believe in it. This means that individuals need to understand the importance of its values, and also truly care about upholding it. With enough funds, it is entirely possible to create an efficient, innovative and effective democracy, and all those characteristics are great. However, in order for a democracy to be truly sustainable and successful, its constituents must believe that it matters and be socialized to it. After these values are incorporated into a society, then the order, measures can be taken into account and promoted. Too often what happens is people intervene and simply impose values on a society without taking the time to acclimate people or encourage through understanding of the values being imposed, as well as making an effort to understand the cultural differences for a better democratic adaptation process. Uh,
2: The Center for Global Development is is going to be uh... Celebrating its 20th year, Uh, and uh, it surely has been one of the think tanks that has been particularly good in uh, dealing with development challenges. However, in their celebrating of their own achievements, all the emphasis was placed on data and not on values. So we don't know what kind of values they think development should be aiming for, and there's nothing in it about Uh, democratic participation or uh, uh, democratic society as superior uh, to an autocratic society. And uh, that seems to me to be an example of of, uh, Paulina's point that at all levels, including the people who are so-called recipients of cunning development programs, uh, they need to uh, believe in and practice democracy as a way of life uh, within their own culture. And it's a pity that uh, the Center for Global Development does not recognize the moral dimension of the democratic challenge.
0: All societies make decisions that have serious impacts on future unborn generations, such as how or even whether to tackle the current climate crisis. How can democratic values be used to harness the voices of generations yet unborn? Paulina, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, when individuals and representatives um, make their decisions, these three values, the values that we've been talking about in terms of liberty, equality, and justice, um, uh, these values must be at the heart of all their choices. These values also are not intended for us today, but should be promoted for future generations. The decisions being made today should not impede future generations' ability to live under a free, equal, and just society. It is our responsibility to protect this value. Through thinking of democracy, um, through the responsibility to sustain its core values for generations to come, we are harnessing the voices of the unborn um, by considering their well being and their rights to a livable world, I mean, including um, climate change and other issues.
2: I think that puts it very well. Um, uh, one of our uh, uh, good uh, theoreticians uh, is um, uh, uh, has written uh, an article saying one of the deficiencies in our understanding of democracy is our under is our failure to take into account future generations as part of the of the, those that should be enfranchised in some sense. Uh, we'll be able to. Uh, anticipate uh, needs and concerns and the agency of the future uh, and uh, take their views into account. So just as the franchise has been broadened in terms of of gender and in terms of uh, ethnicity and in terms of age, uh, so it can be broadened to include the likely voices of future generations. And, of course, here is where – Fallibilism comes in because just as we can make mistakes about our own preferences or those uh, of other people that are living now, so we can make mistakes about uh, what the future will will hold and what it, it will need. But we can know enough, if we still have human beings, that they will be uh, interested in not being dominated by other human beings, but having a role in uh, in, uh forging their own society. And uh, if we can take that into account now, then we can make allowances for that. And it's amazing in the Glasgow discussions how easily the future generations uh, get eclipsed uh, by uh, uh, an undue focus on uh, what uh, is happening right now. And in in some ways, uh, the agency idea means that we, have, we, can, we can and should sometimes use our agency to reduce our own well-being in favor of what others will need more.
0: In every society, there are many competing moral values. Some want to pursue internationalism while others favor isolationism. Some prioritize climate justice while others advocate for strong and unfettered economic growth. Can democratic values and processes help resolve such deep conflicts? And Paulina, let's go with you first.
1: Democracy means rule by the people. And yes, usually decisions are made according to what the minority wants, but this doesn't mean that minorities can be neglected as they happen commonly around the world. And in that sense, democratic values establish the path to start a conversation to resolve these conflicts and ensure all opinions and points of view are taken into consideration. This process has to be guided by fundamental rights such as the right to every person to equal access to public service, for example, and to take part in the conduct of public affairs such as as decision-making processes. The The right to equal protection of the law and access to justice the right to freedom of opinion, of expression, and the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religions. Once again, neglecting one of these rights or any others threatens the whole democratic system.
0: And thank you, Paulina. David, please share your thoughts.
2: Yeah, this is a a tough challenge because uh, uh, we we don't want a constitution which uh, endorses slavery and our respect for those that believe in slavery or believe in male domination of females. Uh, they should have the right to articulate their views. But we want a constitution that rules out uh, slavery e- explicitly. And uh, uh, that finally was one of Abraham Lincoln's uh, great accomplishments, just to show us that our Our tolerance for others can be a tolerance of their articulated ideas in public, but not a a, a tolerance for placing their ideas as part of our constitution or or our laws. Uh, So uh, uh, here I think we need to share the, the truth of democracy, both its intrinsic value and its good consequences, in a way that we have not uh, we have not done before.
0: So, as we end this conversation, I would like to give you some time to share your closing thoughts. David, can we begin with you?
2: I do think that, in spite of all the uh, diversity of approaches to democracy, uh, there are ways in which uh, Democrats of Different stripes and different beliefs can come together uh, in a, a time of, uh, of challenge to democracy. And I would p- call attention to an open letter in defense of democracy that was signed by uh, lots of different people from different political uh, persuasions uh, coming together to recognize that the core values of democracy can be understood in different ways and weighed in different ways in different contexts and embodied in different ways, in different kinds of institutions, but that there is a, a way of coming together uh, in a, a time, um, uh, rather than being divided against each other. Uh, part of the problem of uh, uh, the early days of, of Hitler in Germany was that the, uh, those in the center and center left could not get together uh, and uh, did not take seriously enough uh, the challenge of uh, of Hitler's movement. And if they had, they might have been able uh, early on uh, to uh, nip it in the bud.
0: And thank you, David. Paulina, please.
1: Yes, well, Evan, my, my, my final thoughts really go to the fact that, again, we just need to reevaluate and make me change some definitions. I mean, in my personal experience, with my organization, for me, it's extremely important to think about my vision, my, my vision and mission. And I think that's a little bit what we need to do today. When I mentioned the women rights and the participation electoral processes, I'm talking a lot more than about just women being elected. I'm talking about making sure that minorities are not being left of decision-making processes, that they truly believe in the values of, of democracy that they have access to equality, uh, to justice, to freedom of speech, to freedom of assembly, to freedom of participation, and that their rights are not being forgotten. And I think that unfortunately nowadays, um, democracy has left behind so many groups that is important that we recognize the fact and we can really not only reevaluate the focus and the objective, but also the audiences. Who are we trying to serve? And with that in mind, maybe reconsider what needs to be done in order to improve democracy.
2: And, and maybe a way to bring this uh, from, the the- from theory to practice uh, directly would be, um, many of us have been involved in various uh, uh, political and cultural groups that try to solve a problem together. And uh, it may be that uh, the way to the best way to to win over the anti-democrat is to invite them to be part of one of these groups that may have some concern for them. Um, uh, It may be a sports group. Uh, It it may be uh, as happening now in uh, in Maryland uh, an environmental group. But uh, it may be that not the the intellectual arguments, but the experience of living and working in a, a, a group which is not being dominated by one or a few people, but in which everybody has a chance to, to take turns in leading or participate with their critical opinions, that they will see that there's something to this democratic faith uh, that uh, is very important and that democracy is in some way a way of life. And not just a way of thinking and that they can experience that way of life in one area and then see that it's relevant for the more uh, explicit uh, regional or national or global democratic structures.
0: I want to thank you both on behalf of the Center for Values in International Development for your time and sharing your unique perspectives.
2: And we'd like to thank you for uh, bringing uh, this together and for enabling uh, Paulina uh, and I to um, uh, uh, share our diverse ideas. And um, uh, I think one of the uh, uh, great accomplishments uh, in our our hemisphere has been the uh, fantastic transition that's been made from uh, 1989 to the present uh, in Chile after uh, so many years of dictatorship.
1: Thank you, David, and thank you, Evan, and the the center for for inviting me today. Yes, and thank you, David, for mentioning uh, Chile. We'll see how things develop in in the near future, and we hope that our experience really helps other democracies, helps other democracies to, to be better every day.
0: This concludes the fourth of five conversations sponsored by the Center for Values in International Development. In addition to our conversations introducing development ethics, empowerment, and inclusive development, we will finish this five-part series by exploring the topic of climate justice, all with the goal of strengthening the relationship between development practitioners and ethicists, because moral clarity matters.